We're continuing our study in following Jesus, follow me, uh, living out, uh, out the call. But before I dive into it, I want to point out something. You'll see these baskets along the edge of your uh, rows, and there's a card in there. You don't need to take it out now. We're going to use it later, but I'm just sort of alerting you to this so you can think about it. We're going to be talking about burdens this morning, spiritual discouragement. And uh, on this card, I'm going to ask you to write something that's, that's weighing you down. You're not going to hand it in. It's for your personal use. But I will refer to it a little bit later in the worship service. Be thinking about the things that may be weighing on you spiritually. And that, that is really the subject uh, this morning, spiritual discouragement. As we walk with Jesus, we've been talking about challenges and being equipped properly, the triumphs of it all. But one thing we all face is discouragement. Would you agree? We want to follow Jesus. We want to do what he's calling us to do, but sometimes we just feel like we can't. Um, it's just too hard. Or we just don't have the energy to do what he's calling us to do. Maybe we don't barely have the energy to get out of bed. We're confused maybe by God's silence on a subject or wondering, wondering why he hasn't intervened, why he hasn't done something. Um, and it can leave you feeling uh, forsaken or abandoned or maybe just cast aside. What do we do in those moments? And maybe for some of us, they aren't moments. They're more like months, maybe even years. I don't have a five-step solution for you this morning, but God does speak into our discouragement. And you're not alone in feeling this way. This is the experience of God's people through the ages. We see the record of that in the prophets, dozens and dozens of places in the Psalms of people going, God, where, where are you? It's the, it's the experience of people in this church, and to be honest, it's the experience of the pastor that's in front of you. I, I get discouraged. I find some comfort in the fact that even the apostle Paul got discouraged. I mean, really discouraged. And so we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and actually refer to the whole book it's kind of throughout. I'm sorry about that. Someone's calling me. I'm going to do something very odd here. Mary Eli is calling me. I have no idea why. Thank you. <laughs> My son who's at Mizzou calling me while I'm preaching. That makes me concerned. I don't know. It's maybe he just does not thinking that I'm preaching right now. <laughs> um, it has me wondering whether it's... <laughs> Even the Apostle Paul was deeply discouraged. And we're going to look at, at his experience in this passage and in other places, see if we can't learn something from his experience. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1 uh, beginning in verse 8. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. And on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that 
Many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning, and uh, I don't know where all the, all, all the people in this room are, but we all know discouragement at some point in our life. Maybe we know it very profoundly right now. So, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us by your Spirit through your Word and show us how we may walk faithfully through this experience. We ask that you would relieve us of it, but, Lord, sometimes we know that you want us to walk through it, so give us the courage and the faith we need to do so. Work this in us, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to start the sermon by talking about something maybe a little mundane. I want to talk about things that smell bad. Do, do, do you have things in your life, you know, you come across and you think, wow, this really, this really stinks. This, is, this has a really foul odor to it. You have, you, you've had that experience? So what, what are some things that you think smell bad? I need some interaction here. What are some things that smell bad? What? Man, hockey gear. Oh, my gosh. Camp laundry. Oh, man. Wet dog. Skunk. What was it? Skunked dogs. Yes. I've never, I've never had to deal with that, and I'm really thankful. What was it over here? Just garbage, rotting food, whatever. Yes. I mean, there's all kinds of things that smell bad. You know, when, and, and when we come across something that smells bad, you know, what do we do? We tend to want to move away from it, you know, get as far away from it as we can. And if we can't do that, if something we need to be subjected to, like, like my son coming back from hockey practice, we have an air freshener in the car. You know, we have something that kind of tries to cover over the smell. Maybe we buy a scented candle, whatever it is, and, and we get it going, you know, we put the air freshener in the car, or we light the candle, and we start smelling, and we go... Yes, okay, I smell, I smell like that evergreen smell. Mm, that's good. Mm. Uh, vanilla, yes, and uh, cinnamon, and uh, yeah, that uh, rancid hockey gear. It's still there. It, it doesn't take it away. And sometimes, uh, as Christians, we treat the stink of life that way. Uh, if we move away from it. Something bad is going on in someone's life. We're overwhelmed by that. Well, we try to get our distance because it just smells bad. Or if we can't do that, we're going to distract from it. We're going to try and cover it over. We're going to quote some happy Bible verse or have some sappy saying about it. And it still stinks. I find, I mean, not encouragement, um, but help in the first verse. For we do not want you to be unaware, Paul says. I do not want you to be unaware about how my life is really hard right now and really stinks. As Christians in 21st century uh, America, we, we tend to project a life that is good. You know, when we're experiencing uh, happiness and success and fulfillment, you know, we, we post all the victories on our Facebook page, on our Instagram account, uh, pictures of friends and great food and celebratory times, good times. Um, and, you know, on Facebook, that's what you see. I, I look at other people's lives and it looks like they're just experiencing joy after joy after joy. That's your life, right? It's not? 
But some people avoid Facebook altogether because they just can't take, just can't take only the good news when they know their life has bad news in it. Paul doesn't want us to be unaware of how his life is hard, how life can really stink. You know, the path of following Jesus goes through deep discouragement. Discouragement in the Christian life is real, all too real. And we need to acknowledge it. We can't wave our hand or quote a Bible verse and just wish it away. It doesn't work like that. So what do we do? How do we live in these times, these months, these years? Well, what Paul is saying is, look, Jesus has been faithful to deliver us from our greatest, worst fate. He's delivered us from sin and death. Jesus has been faithful to deliver us in the past. So keep walking with him faithfully in hopes of something better. And that hope is not necessarily that you're going to get the job or going to have the second house at the lake or the promotion or whatever it is. That's not the kind of hope Jesus is talking about. He's talking about hope for eternal life and for satisfaction and for peace in this life, even in the midst of turmoil. We'll keep walking with Jesus faithfully in the hope of better things. And the key to passing through these times, it isn't some sort of secret knowledge in the scriptures. It's not like theologians have studied something so so hard and so deep that they know something you don't. That's, that's not it. It's not that, not that people know some technique where they can vanquish uh, you know, this trial and, and be rid of it and, and live, if I may say it this way, our best life now. The secret is faithfully walking with Jesus step by step through the discouragement, walking in hope that he has something better for us. That's easy to say, Daryl. How do I do that? Well, there's many ways to express faithfulness walking with Jesus, but I I see at least three things in this passage and really through the book of 2 Corinthians. And the first, it just begins with acknowledgement, acknowledging the burden itself, the thing that is weighing you down, but also the gospel that speaks to it. And then secondly, exercising faith, or better put, courage to face the burden but do so trusting not on your own strength, but in God. And then you move forward in hope that the burden is not going to be the thing that defines who you are. God has something better for you. Something else will define you. Let's look at the first one. The fact that we need to acknowledge the burden and acknowledge the gospel that speaks to it. Well, you know, I talk to people a lot about acknowledging something, um, and I find it hard to communicate because it seems to be sort of a, a passive thing. Pe- people come to say, Daryl, what should I do to engage in this situation? And the first thing I say is, well, you need to change your attitude. That's not something they do. You know, it's not something I can put in, plan I can put into, into place, but it, it's, it's an assessment of what's really happening, taking the inventory of what's happening in your life and acknowledging What's going wrong? And it's tough to communicate, but it's also kind of frightening 
recognizing, acknowledging the negative things in your life. And, and I tend to think of three categories about negative things, burdensome things. Uh, the first is the drip drip of life. You know, it's, uh, it's the changing the diapers, the washing the dishes, it's writing the fifth memo to the same department about the same thing. And you say to yourself, if I have to make another bed, I am going to scream. It's, it's not a crisis. It's not even stress. It's just the drip, drip, drip of life. Another category are, are, are the stresses that, that you get in life and the unrelenting stresses. I've felt this way that, man, life just doesn't ever stop, does it? It doesn't slow down. And as a parent, I kept saying to myself, oh, I can't wait for summer when things slow down. When has summer ever been slower? But I still think it. I keep hoping for it. Life, but life just keeps coming at me. Um, not huge things. Child falls and injures himself and you have to go to urgent care. You get a fender bender. That is the worst. I hate that because it's not a big deal, but it eats up all this time and energy and uh, it's so frustrating. That's what I'm talking about, how life just keeps coming at you. And then... Then there are the real tragedies, the crises. Uh, a parent um, passes on, uh, an illness, uh, a life-threatening illness. You're fired. These things can be devastating. How is it that I can acknowledge all these things and actually keep going? I mean, it, the burden of life, even an ordinary life, is so heavy. So some of us choose not to. We just live in denial. We're going to pretend that it didn't really happen. I mean, we acknowledge it. Yes, factually, that thing happened. But I'm going to live as, and not process it at all. I'm just going to keep moving forward. I'm going to keep running. Some of us have a philosophy of running. If we just keep ahead of the breaking wave, we won't ever really experience the pain uh, of it. If I don't acknowledge the burden, we can escape it. At least that's what we think. So we keep running. Uh, we keep moving from one business deal where things weren't really tied up all that well. Well, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to move on to the next one because it's much more fun. The beginning is much more fun than the end. So I want to move on to the next one. Or a romantic relationship. Uh, things fell apart with this last one. I'm just going to move on to the next thing because the, the beginning is much more fun than the end. And I'm going to deny that anything, I need to process anything from that experience. Or we, we hide. We hide in a bottle of bourbon. Or we hide in uh, our own pleasures, maybe even uh, our own personal sexual satisfaction, um, we're going to keep running. But as we do that, what we're doing is we're simply kind of throwing things that are in front of us behind us in hopes that it'll stop the wave, but all it does is it adds to it. It makes the wave grow bigger and bigger, and we don't escape it. All we do is we make ourselves an even more profound prisoner of it because we need to keep running harder and faster. And oh, by the way, as we do that, we're wreaking havoc in the lives of the people around us. We have to stop. We have to acknowledge the truth. There are hard things. Some of you know I work a lot with uh, drug awareness uh, groups and in particular uh, the Crossroads program, which helps young adults who are addicted to uh, opiates and alcohol uh, come to grips with that. 
Uh, and they use the 12-step program. Maybe some of, you, some of you are familiar with the 12 steps, but it begins with this step one. We admit we are powerless over alcohol or, or drugs and that our lives have become unmanageable. I think we can broaden that out for the Christian life and serve us well. Step one, we admit we are powerless over our sin and that our lives have become unmanageable. Acknowledging the truth. Can you do that this morning? A lot of us run. Not all of us, though. Some of us, we're not running. We're just, uh, we're just stuck on the path. Uh, we don't know what to do with the burden that God has given us. We don't want to run. We don't want to run away from God. But we can't really receive what God is giving us and move through it. And so we're, we're, we're a lot like um, uh, a dog that is receiving something from its master that it doesn't like. How many people here have dogs? So some of you have dogs. Maybe you've had this experience where you're giving your dog something that the dog doesn't really want. Maybe it's medicine. Maybe it's a, a treat that they don't really like, but it's the treat that you have. And they don't want to run away because they want to submit, but they don't want to engage either. So as you hold out whatever it is you want them to receive, they do this. That's where a lot of us are with God. We present as being on the path, but we're not moving because we can't really acknowledge what's happening. Uh, that the burden that, ha that God has confronted us, confronted us with in the path, we don't want to admit that we have to move through it. We just hold our head away, hoping that the master will relent. That he'll change his mind. That's not going to happen. And so we're just stuck. People ask us, hey, how are you doing? And we say, oh, you know, I'm doing all right. Uh, can't complain. You know, there's frustrations in life, but, you know, they're, they're common. You know, no big deal. And really what we should say is, you know, I don't have a tragedy in my life right now, but uh, what is going on, it's crippled me. I, I'm, I just feel sidelined. I'm failing. I, I am, I'm failing. You know, Paul felt this way. He was discouraged. He felt hobbled. He had a physical ailment. We don't know what it, what, what it was, but it was something that was a burden to him. And if, he felt like it got in his way all the time. And he was so discouraged by it. He went to the Lord and he pleaded with him. He prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And he writes about that experience in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. He writes, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, which is another way of saying no. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I got to tell you, sometimes I really hate this verse. I don't want to be weak. I don't want the burden. 
And when I was writing this part of the sermon, I got to tell you, I was, I was bawling because I was coming face to face with my weaknesses and my failures in living this life. And I, I was thinking to myself, you know, I just, don't, I just don't have what it takes to do these things well. And I realized, oh, that's a lie. I'm still sugarcoating it. I don't have the strength to do these things at all. What a failure I am as, as a husband, as a dad. I mean, sometimes I do things and I'm thinking to myself, people look at me like I know what I'm doing as a parent. I don't know what I'm doing right now. I am lost. As a pastor, I am weak and failing. And in acknowledging that, when I was writing the sermon, I turned to the Lord and just said, I, I don't, I am lost. And in acknowledging it, I experienced freedom. The exhale. What I feared really is true. But God is good. Because when I acknowledged it, I ceded control of the burden to somebody who can do something about it. When I get the phone call from my son <laughs> from zoo, and I'm like, what's happening? What's going on right now? I'm preaching to you, but in the back of my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, something bad has happened. And I see my wife through the window on the phone, and she does this. <laughs> Thumbs up. It's all good. And what did I do to control that situation? What could I have done to control that situation? Nothing. When I am weak, I know the strength of God. And in acknowledging it, I give the burden to God who can do something about it. Acknowledgement is the only path to freedom. And God in your freedom is glorified. Acknowledge it, whatever it is. And of course, acknowledging, acknowledgement is only the beginning. Faithfulness and discouragement also means exercising faith. Now, that's a kind of a word we throw around a lot in Christian circles. What do you mean by faith? Are you just assenting to certain things? Jesus was raised from the dead. It, it actually, what it means here is courage. To walk as if it's true. And we need courage because walking faithfully with Jesus in discouragement means engaging with hard things. To engage with a child struggling at school or a child with special needs. Uh, to engage with a parent in failing health. To engage with a spouse who is uncaring. To, to engage with your own anger over God's silence and inaction. You think to yourself, I've tried. I have tried over and over and over again, and things aren't getting better. So what we really want to do is throw up our hands to God and say, God, this is too hard. This, this is too hard. I can't make it work. And what we need to remember is that God does not call you to success. He calls you to faithfulness and leave the successes 
to him. And the courage needed is the courage not to figure out how to succeed, but the courage to endure, to endure waiting. The courage needed is the courage to endure heartbreak, to endure prayers answered in ways different than what you want. Courage to trust that God is working something better than you can conceive or imagine. And that is not an easy path. And I was reminded of this recently. I was at a Green Tree event. I want to attribute this appropriately, but I can't remember who said it. I was at a Green Tree event. Someone said it. I said, that's awesome. And I wrote it down. And then I didn't write down who said it. Um, So whoever said this, thank you. But they were making the point that the path to the new heavens and the new earth, the fact that God renews all things and restores things as they should be, leads through the cross and suffering. And as we follow Jesus, we need to remember that his path led him to cry out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? You know, I feel that way sometimes. It's not true, but I feel it. God the Father really did turn his back on Jesus as he poured his wrath out on Christ on the cross. Sometimes I need to, be, need to be reminded of that, that hard truth. I'm saying to Jesus, Jesus, you know what you're asking? It's too hard. It's too discouraging. And Jesus says back to me, brother, I love you. But you're just beginning to understand what discouragement is. Now, don't get me wrong here. Don't confuse what I'm saying that you just need to be harder on yourself and suck it up and deal. That's not it at all. Just that Jesus knows more profoundly than even we do. And if anything, don't be harder on yourself. You need to be kinder to yourself, recognizing your weaknesses. Now, that's not a license to indulge yourself in the things you shouldn't be doing. Because, well, you know, I'm really struggling. I'm under stress, so I'll do this bad thing. God will understand. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm simply saying that uh, you need to be kinder to yourself. It's an exhortation to self-care. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a Welsh preacher of the last century. He was also trained as a physician. And he wrote a little book called Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Curses. And in it, it, he talked about self-care and the importance of it. He writes, if you recognize, however, that the physical may be partly responsible for your spiritual condition and make allowances for that, you will be better able to deal with the spiritual there, there, there is, a, there is a, a spirit body union that God has made. And sometimes the maladies of, of the physical spill into the spiritual and vice versa. And we need to recognize that and make allowances for it. So when you're in the midst of a trial and you say to yourself, I just need to try harder. Whoa, whoa. You need rest. So, But I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. So that is not what that passage is about. Yes, you can endure, but it's not about this triumphalism all the time. It's not. Be kind to yourself. Stop driving so hard to conquer this trial on your own. Reach out for help. And sometimes, and the most wonderful blessings, the blessings of a newborn baby, you need help to have someone hold that baby for you. You know, when, when our twins were born, we had three under two. We were holding babies all the time. I needed someone to hold a baby. 
But man, it, we were tired. Now, we have a great blessing sitting right over there. And we're far distance from those years. But boy, it was hard. Changing diapers, mopping floors. I worked harder when I went home than when I went to work. Way harder. Sometimes you need help finishing the home project. Sometimes you need to say, you know, that project can just wait. It, can, it, it just doesn't have to happen. And building on Lloyd-Jones' quote, I would add that our spiritual discouragement can infect the organ of our thinking. It can infect our brain, and, and our thinking becomes so cross-wired, our, our brain functions so unbalanced that we can't even reason through the truths of the gospel anymore. It's so noisy in our heads, we can't hear the loving voice of our Savior anymore. And I know there are many opinions about this, but this pastor is telling you that if you need medication to help bring the noise level down a little bit so that you can start hearing the voice of God again, you're going to get nothing but support from me. Now, medications don't solve problems, but it can get you to a place where you can engage again. Our human frame is frail. So let's stop trying to do it on our own and pushing through to prove that we can get this done. We can't. So do what you have to so you can hear the voice of God again speaking to you, so you can let the peace of God shine through your frail frame. And Paul talks about that too, also in 2 Corinthians, perhaps one of the most famous passages from that book. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We've got we to be honest with ourselves. We are earthen vessels. We are dried out clay. We're brittle. So be kind to yourself. And the courage we need is not the courage to say to ourselves, we can do it, we can succeed, but simply to say, get back up. God's with you. Take the next step. And only worry about the next step. You know, Jesus talked about supplies. He said, give us today our lifetime's bread. Is that what he said? He said, give us what? Our daily bread. Maybe even a better translation is give us today this day's bread. And that's what we're saying. Lord, give me the courage for today. This step. And I'll leave the destination to you. Verse 10 of our passage from earlier. He delivered us from such deadly peril. He saved us in the past. He will deliver us. He's, he's working right now. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And I look to the future with hope. And that brings us to our last point, hope. We need to move forward in hope that the burden doesn't define us and for something better in the love of God. Let's be clear. When I talk about hope, I'm not saying what we do is we stick our fingers in our ears and go, la, 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 I cannot hear the negativity of the world. La, 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 la. That's not hope. Hope is looking at the brokenness and chaos of this life, looking at it squarely, even, even your own life, 
and defying the weight of it to lift your soul heavenward and wait on something better. Hope is an act of defiance. When I wrote that line, I was like, oh, that's a good line. I hope, that's, I hope, I hope only I have said that because I would like to claim that. <laughs> but I, I, other people have written it. I Googled it and up came all kinds of things about hope as an act of defiance. But it's still true. It's saying to this world so filled with tragedy, heartache, and discouragement, you don't define me. You don't get to dictate my actions and my future. I want the hope of the power of the resurrection to define me. Christine Crane, who wrote the book Unexpected, wrote about hope as an act of defiance. This is what she, this is what she said. When we risk hoping again, we learn to live in the present, but with the With the future in mind, we shift the gaze of our focus forward. We become prisoners of hope who cling to hope, who speak the language of hope, who don't put off hope, who are willing to let God surprise us with a new future. When we become prisoners of hope, we commit a daring act of defiance. See, I'm not very original. She said it before me. We dare to get our hopes up. In another place in the book, she wrote this. I don't know where your hope is struggling. Whatever it is, It's time to risk hoping again. Whatever dream we had that died, whatever promise we gave up on, the truth of God's word says that we serve a God with resurrection power who specializes in raising the dead. And it echoes words from earlier in in our main passage, verse nine. Indeed, we felt that we have received the sentence of death But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. This is the God that walks with you, who has tread the path before you. And whatever heartbreak you're living with, that is not the end of your story. Because God who raises the dead walks with you. And we we need to remind ourselves of this truth. We need to speak it to each other. But sometimes we need to speak it to ourselves because we have these voices inside our head um, that, uh, that, that are speaking all kinds of negativity. You're not enough. You're going to fail. This is only going to get worse. And in a later place in, in um, Lloyd-Jones's book, he writes this. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Do you understand the difference? You're letting those intrusive voices say all those negative things and you're just sort of, oh, you know letting it wash over you. And what Lloyd-Jones is saying is, don't, let, don't let, that, let, let your inner voice do that. Talk back. He says later in the book, this man within us has got to be handled. Do not listen to him, turn on him, speak to him, condemn him, upbraid him, exhort him, encourage him, remind him of what you know instead of listening placidly to him and allowing him to drag you down and depress you. What do you know that God himself took on flesh and gave himself for you? There, wasn't, there isn't anything he wouldn't do for your good. Say that to the inner voice and defy yourself, the powers of this world, and speak a word of hope into impossible circumstances and see what the resurrection power of God might work in your life as you move forward in hope.
Again, remember, Jesus walks with you and he understands you. We spend a lot of time in our culture saying other people groups can't understand us. You don't have my experience. You don't have my histories. There's no way you can possibly understand what I've experienced in life. And, And we could maybe turn to God sometimes and say, how can you possibly understand the human condition? You're God. But he came in the flesh. And he set aside all his power. You know, he lived life. Sometimes we don't get this right. We think, oh, Jesus did certain things because he was God. That's, that's how he raised the dead. Uh-uh. He was the spirit-empowered man. He lived life just like you and I do. And, and we have the same spirit he, he had. He understands. And Hebrews makes this very point. Since we have a great high priest... Essentially, the high priest spoke on behalf of the people. He was the advocate of the people to God. Since we have such a great advocate who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus understands. And because he understands, we can have confidence that we can approach him without fear. He's going to bring relief. He is for you. He is with you and he is for you. So move forward and hope that our burdens won't define us, but we will be defined by the hope we have in the resurrection that all things will be made new. And to that end, I'm going to talk about that, that card. What is it that's burdening you? What is it that's weighing you down? I want you to take this card during this next song. Use the song as a time of meditation and prayer and think on the things that are burdening you and write it down on this card. And fold it up and then tear it. Not into a itty-bitty pieces. We're not interested in confetti here in the sanctuary, but once, maybe twice, and hold on to it. And when you leave, when you leave the church, there's a fire out front. I want you to take your burden and give control of it to God. Put it in the fire. It's a symbolic act, but sometimes as we act it out, we, we can grab a hold of it spiritually, emotionally, intellectually. We acknowledge it. We have the courage to face it. We put it in the fire and hope that this will not be the thing that defines us. Take this time now, meet with your God, and give to him your discouragement.